As we continue our time in the, second, in the Ten Commandments, today we turn to the second as our special focus. And yet we'll continue to read um, all ten of them throughout these weeks, uh, just so that we can continue to hear them, to put them in our hearts, to put them in our minds, and to also continue to uphold the goal of why we're doing this. The goal of this is to be centered, like the bullseye, because sin, by definition, is the distance by which we miss the mark. And so, and I just like having a prop up here to play with a little bit too. But think about how you center and align your life. And the Ten Commandments are a gift that helps us as we're already following Christ to bring our lives more on target, more centered. And the centering that we have that is set before us by Jesus Christ is Christ's summary of the law in which he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the goal that the Ten Commandments point us towards, is loving God and loving neighbor. And so this points out errors. It gives us measures of correction. But the goal is not to live in this continuous cycle of guilt and shame, but the goal is to live more and more with loving God and loving neighbor as the orienting point of our lives on which we are centered on target and bullseye. Before we read God's word and also as we review a few signs for each one, um, let's pray together. God, may your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Jesus Christ, our primary concern. Speak, O Lord, for we, your servants, listen. Amen. Before we read the commandments in English, we're just going to review the first and teach a few signs for the second. Once again, this is not the complete sentences. This is not done in perfection, um, but this gives us a taste of a few signs that go with them. So we'll start once again with the first and just mirror me as best you can, and I'll try to give more instruction for the the newer ones. I am the Lord, make an L, sash, I am the Lord, your God. Other, just make a, make a fist, other, other gods, no. Make an L as if for law and put your other hand up like one of these tablets and bounce it off. So we'll do that one just one more time. I am the Lord, your God. Other gods, no. And now for the second one. Making idols or crafting images. So you're just going to use your thumbs. Pretend maybe you're at a potter's wheel. You're making something very nice for yourself, uh, something that you esteem to be worthy of your worship. So you're making idols, and you're thinking maybe about um, bowing down to them. Um, So make your arm kind of like a head, and then this is the midpoint of the body, so you're bowing down to them. Or maybe you think they'll help you enough that you will worship them. So just kind of pray your hands and bow down. Making idols and bowing down to them or worshiping them? No. Once again. There's something about doing the actions that also helps put it into our perspective, and it gives us, uh, it gives us a way to remember it even with our bodies. And I just like some of the signs that make it so direct and add emphasis to it. And now also hear these words in English. 
Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fifteen, a hundred and thirty-three, a hundred and five, fifty-three, sixty-four, and a hundred and twelve. Those numbers are how many likes I have received on my last several Facebook posts. So some of these numbers are a little lower. Uh, Some are higher. 15, 133 was the most recent record, 105, 112, but also 53 and 64. I have found that uh, pictures of children um, get more love and uh, and awe kind of reactions. Um, Pictures of the building get quantifiably the most likes, um, but not necessarily the most loves, which is good because, you know, no idols. But one thing that's interesting about this is just the fact that I can give you these numbers tells you that I can quantify my popularity. I can count and watch how much people like what I have to post or say. This is just part of the world that we live in. And once again, the world is not going to slow down for us. The world is not going to somehow uh, just disappear with some of these things that can become distractions. The world's going to keep going. And the focus of the Ten Commandments is how do we live even in the midst of this type of world where, yes, you can quantify your popularity. Consider that this could be a more subtle form of idolatry because I know that I can watch what people like and that I can craft a certain image of myself to put before the rest of the world on social media or wherever you are. Pastor Audrey is much more the expert in this field than I am, uh, much more aware and, and uses tools that I don't even have accounts for. But consider 
the wording of that. You can craft an image. You can make an image of who you want to be perceived to be. And I want to also defend, once again, we're holding up both sides of this. Sometimes it's just nice to show pictures and tell people what's going on. It's a useful way to share information. It's a way to reach out to those who are around us. Um, For those who have family in distant places, it's nice just to be able to see and watch what's going on in someone else's life. It can be a good and fine thing. But it also can become an idol, something that we obsess over, our popularity, our image. And what is happening in that is a very subtle form of idolatry, where instead of we, who we are, as we are, that is interacting with the world, we can craft an image, and we can love that image that we've made of ourselves. And we can obsess over it and give time to how we can craft an image of ourselves that we think people will be drawn to. You shall not make for yourself an idol or image in the form of anything, heaven above, on the earth below, or the waters beneath. Consider that our image can be an idol that we can make of ourselves. This is a subtle form, maybe something new that we haven't considered, maybe something that we're actually very aware of. Now, the reason I bring this up is because idolatry is sometimes the commandment that we kind of gloss over. Because I bet you, if I go into any of your houses, there will, be not, there will not be any idols of Baal, and there won't be any Asherah poles set up. All of the stuff from First and Second Kings, you probably don't have that. And if you do have an idol of Baal, the Mesopotamian god, it's probably more for historic purposes than for worshiping purposes, or so I would hope. But nonetheless... Idols, sometimes we think, well, that's, we're, we're beyond that. We don't have idols. Oh, but we do. We have things that we put, as the placement was mentioned, alongside of or in front of God. When I was in Mexico, we did some home visits. And in southern Mexico especially, uh, there, there was um, a great influx of Christianity that came. Um, but this was even pre-Reformation days. Um, which it's the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation this year. Um, but So there was idols set up, and then they got replaced by other Christian icons. Um, but you know what's actually in the place of, in the home where you'd set up your idols? You know what's there now? TV sets, which is also a great irony for us because we might think, we don't have any idols. There's nothing that we bow down to or orient ourselves towards or fix our time around, except sometimes. And once again, enjoy a good TV show, sure. Um, Enjoy what you will. But guarding our hearts against making sure that it's not an idol is the whole point of the second commandment. Because more often than not, for us in our day, an idol is not something that is just abhorrently and obviously evil from the get-go. An idol is more likely something that is good, that deserves its rightful place, but it becomes an idol when it's elevated or put too close to the center and all the other priorities get fractured because there's an idol that we've put in that central central spot and now God is competing for our attention alongside of something else. We might do this with all kinds of things from, from TV shows to money to our own popularity, but there's a particular application of idolatry that I, I think we, we might 
almost become immune to. And it's this. We can create an image of ourselves. And there's a fly that's up here that is just getting in my face. We can create an image of ourselves that we want for the world. And that interferes with Jesus' first emphasis, love the Lord your God more than anything else, but also love your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever loved an image of someone else more than the actual person? Think about that for a minute. When you're talking with someone face-to-face, there, there is a person in front of you, a, a living being created by God who, who bears God's divine image. We are created in the image of God. Do you ever love a different image of someone, a different version of who you wish they were or you hope they could be? Do you ever love that image of someone more than the actual person in front of you? Often parents might do this with their children. We love our children, but we have dreams and hopes and aspirations for them. And so we might start loving an image of who they could be or who we think they should be instead of the actual child in front of us. And I know some of you would say, oh, just wait, Stephen, you don't even know how hard it is to not do that. And I'm, and I'm not pointing fingers as much as being aware of something. Do we love the person in front of us as they are for who they are? Or are we tempted to love an image of who we think they could be or should be? And we self-justify in this by saying we know what's best uh, and we want what's best for our children, for those around us. But do we start to love an image of who they could be instead of who they really are? What kind of pressure that creates? And in a very subtle way, this is a form of idolatry. Because we don't get to make images of God. God reveals God's self however God wants to. And we don't get to choose how the person in front of us bears God's image. They bear God's image in the way that God created them too. And there's always more growth and becoming into all of that. But are we tempted to love a different version of someone? Maybe this comes across with our spouses, that we love them, we're committed to them. But boy, if they would just change this one thing about themselves, we can love an image of someone instead of the person in front of them. And it will bring us off-centered. And we can notice when it happens because we feel like our dreams have been shattered or, or something that we were hoping for has been taken away. God didn't want us to make idols or images in the form of anything because God's command is to let God be revealed as God is. In word, in God's image revealed in front of you, not with us making up our own versions or straying off the center of loving God and loving neighbor the true God, not an image of God that we prefer to who God really is, and the true person in front of us, not an image of the person that we hope they would be. God didn't want idols in the form of anything. This is why one of my favorite lines, and people do grow and change, one of my favorite vows in Caitlin and I's wedding was, I love you now, but even more in your growing and becoming. Meaning through all of life's changes, people do change, they develop, they grow up, they find new, new areas of interest. But that our commitment to love God and neighbor exists in reality, not just in our imagination 
of who we hope someone is. What about dreams for ourselves? What about a vision that we have that we believe is actually from God? Can that become an idol where, where we will do anything, we'll do whatever it takes to make this happen, whether it's with another person, whether it's with ourselves, whether it's with our company or business or any other dream that we have, whether it's the vacation that we want or the car that we'd love to drive, any of these things can become idols when they get displaced, when they end up too close to the center and interferes with loving God or loving neighbor. In all of these things, the great test is can you give it up? Can you set it aside? Now, this doesn't mean we get to give up on all of our hopes and dreams because I'm a little bit of an optimist. I believe that God does give hopes and dreams to people, that God plants a vision in our minds and that we get to work together and see things like that become reality. But what are those things that you just can't give up, that ever so subtly you might be worshiping or bowing down to? Look no further than the people right in front of you. Do you love them for who they are or for who you want them to be or would prefer them to be? We don't have a lot of physical idols that we're calling other gods, but they sneak in anyway. They sneak in in a subtle way. I know a few years ago we did the Bible in 90 days here at North Holland. We, we, we endeavored to read the Bible in 90 days together. And I realized the greatest interference for me to be able to do that was watching TV. Because it took about an hour a day to make this Bible in 90 days happen. And was it something that I could give up? Could I give up watching an episode of Star Trek Next Generation to set aside some time to read the Bible for an hour? And some things are just hard to give up because they're a part of our pattern. We orient our lives around them. And most of these things are good and fine when they're in their right amounts, when they're in the right moderation. But they become an idol when we can't give them up. We can't reorient our routine. We can't let go of them. And we will not, even if God asked us to, give up the dream or vision of what we're wanting. A great example of this in Scripture, and maybe one that makes this uh, concept a little bit more accessible, is to think about Abraham and Sarah. What did Abraham and Sarah want? A child, more than anything else. They wanted a son. And God even promised that they would get that. But think about what happened along the way. Abraham and Sarah were so committed to this that they were going to do whatever it took, including using Hagar and bringing Ishmael into the world, which wasn't what God intended. But then the binding of Isaac that, that, that gut-wrenching story when, when God calls Abraham to bring his son, his only son, whom he loves, up to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him is this terrifying. And, I, and the story, you know, if you read it deeply, it'll tie your stomach in knots a little bit. But the emphasis, even there, before the Ten Commandments had even been written down on the tablets of stone with Abraham was even Isaac, his dear son, a good thing, something he loves, would not be an idol that was more important than God? Are there things that if God asked you to give up or change your routine or or change something about your life, what are the things that you would cling to and have a really hard time letting go? 
In ancient Israel, it was more the temptation to bow down or worship other things that they thought could help them. For us, it's the letting go. It's operating under that test of, is it something that we can let go of? This can happen in worship, too. This can happen with uh, things, that we're, things that we're used to, things that we like, even with our own theology. And sometimes people get accused of, your theology is an idol. And probably your best response is, yes, and no more or less than your theology is an idol. Patrick Miller, an Old Testament theologian from Princeton, uses this tool to think of, um, this, this framing for what's an idol and what isn't particularly in worship or in theology, in the songs that we sing or the practices and habits that we have at church on a Sunday morning? Is it a tool that helps you worship well or has it become an object of worship? Is it a tool that helps you worship well that brings you closer into loving God and neighbor or is it an object of worship that you worship as much as you would love God and neighbor? Maybe there's a particular song that we like the most because it has memories tied to it. It has meaning to us and purpose, and it helps us worship well. But it could also become an idol where we just want that, that that there can't be any kind of worship unless that one thing is present. Idolatry is a sneaky, a sneaky way that we get brought off of center. Sometimes our best tools for worship can become idols. Sometimes our best dreams and hopes and aspirations can become idols when they've taken the place of God. Sometimes the very person in front of us, whether it be our spouse or child or friend or coworker, can become an idol when there's a different image of them that we're longing for rather than longing to love the person who is right here with us. If we're centered, if we're content, Anything can be given and received by and from God. John Calvin, one of the second-generation reformers from the Reformation era, is known for his quote, the human heart is a factory of idols, meaning we'll take just about anything good and turn it into an idol, taking things too far, putting them in too high of a place. There is this other note within the commandment about God punishing children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who do not follow the commands, those who hate God, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love God and keep his commandments. The emphasis there is in the distinction of three or four generations versus a thousand generations. And also, there is a strong push within the rest of the law, verses like Deuteronomy 24, 16, which says parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents, but each will die for their own sin. In the the sermon discussion class, which meets right over by Pastor Audrey's office, we're going to dig in a little bit more on what these generational curses happen and how is it that in the Ten Commandments it's framed one way, but then the very opposite seems to be said elsewhere in the law. We're going to dig into that a little bit more elsewhere. But in closing... As we think about idolatry, maybe as we consider who and what we love, I'd like to read from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. 
Proverbs will also tell you lots of good things about uh, work ethic and, and, and gaining money and being generous and being wise. And there's caution, though, within Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. And I want you to listen as you hear these words from Proverbs 30 and see if you catch how many commandments are actually referenced in these short few verses. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Did you hear a few commandments in there? Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from me. Meaning, God, this whole thing about do not bear false testimony against your neighbor, don't let that happen to me. Keep falsehood and lies away from me. And then give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread is a reference to the Lord's Prayer. This is where it is drawn from. But the reason that the author of Proverbs, this is in the sayings of Agur, give me neither poverty nor riches, even in a book that tells you a lot about how to gain wealth, The rationale is this, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Meaning now, I've got an idol that will help me out. I don't need God because I can help myself. Or I may become poor and steal. And there's a commandment against stealing. Don't covet what other people have and have it lead you to stealing. Uh, Don't have too much that we don't need God anymore and that we have a different idol that's helping us out. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God, which is next week, the third commandment. The Ten Commandments get interlinked a lot. And once again, that concentric circle model. If we get off center at the beginning, it'll be impossible to line up the rest of our lives. And this will take us away from the course of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, loving our neighbor because they are created in God's image, not because they are perceived in the image that we want to view them as. Can you give it up? Can it be something you can let go of? If it's something you can't let go of, it might be on the spectrum of something that's an idol. And this goes even for other people. On Friday, we were at a conference um, about theology and, and, and disability. And one of the things that we were shown was a plaque. It's a rabbinic saying that says, before every person walks an angel proclaiming, here comes one who bears God's image. Love the Lord your God for who God is. And love your neighbor as someone who bears God's image and not your image of them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, give us clean hands and pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Let us cast down our idols. Allow us to have the strength and wisdom to let go of things that we have put in your place things that we use as objects of worship and not tools 
of worship. Lord, help us to sort out our dreams and visions and cling to the ones that you have given us, but even then, clinging with open hands for what you choose to give to us and what we are wise enough to receive. Lord, in all of this, may it help us to orient our lives so that we can love you and love our neighbor as Jesus loved you and showed us how to love our neighbors. Help us to take the good things in life and put them in their proper place and priority. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Lord, we cast down our idols. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.